Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. This episode, entitled Lectio Divina, was given on March 5th, 2017, by Archie Urando. Good morning. Yes, uh, so I'm Archie Urando. I was born in Manila, in the Philippines, in the Pacific. So when you look at the ocean here, it's not too far. (laughs) 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 Yeah, sorry. Yeah, and... um, you know, I was born, uh, my dad is a Catholic and uh, my mom is Protestant. So um, I have both the, the blessing of going to a Catholic school and being uh, confirmed and uh, baptized. Then on Sunday, I go to my grandma's church, which is an evangelical Protestant church. So I was seven years old when I accepted the Lord. And I was seven years old when I was confirmed and baptized. So I, got, I figured I might go to heaven. I had two assurances. <laughs> and so, uh, and that really was kind of like shaped why I got really um, um, interested and in become a, a student of the, uh, the monastic theology, the contemplative prayer theology that uh, has really been my, uh, my, my worldview that I see the, the world, the lens that I see the world in. And um, I, I thought I was really going to be uh, single until rapture. And that's why I, I married late in, in my life. I was 43 years old when I married and have our son. And I was 50, 51 years old. <laughs> and we just had another baby. So hopefully, uh, you know, I'll stay strong until I'm 85, 90. So <laughs> see if I can still play basketball with him and I'm that old. <laughs> so... Um, and then um, I became uh, a missionary with the Youth with a Mission. Some of you are familiar with YWAM. Uh, 1984 in Manila. Um, my brother introduced me to, to YWAM. And, um, and we had troubled teenage years. And, um, and YWAM was such an easy community to accept us. We don't have to have a, a degree to be a missionary. You just, you know, come on, you know. And, the first day that you sign up, you're a missionary already, <laughs> you know, and so that was kind of like my journey. And then, uh, so 1984 until, until now, I, so I'm a career missionary, and although YWAM is an international, interdenominational, but it's mostly um, Assemblies of God, Charismatic, Pentecostal, but there are some who are also mainline. And um, when I served in Europe, in Austria, I was working with the Catholics because, again, part of my uh, makeup is, is Catholic. And so we have a very tiny segment in Wyoming that works with Catholics in Austria and in Ireland. So I was a part of that. And, and that's when I really get to develop more of the, the contemplative monastic theology, which is really a gift from the Catholic tradition. And, and I really like the, uh, the fusion of the the Catholic and the Protestant, and so um, so I can be very charismatic and Pentecostal and on fire and speaking in tongues, but I can also be very monk-like and just silent, and contemplative, and I think that's the gift. I think that's the gift. So that's where I'm I'm coming from. And so um, if you have your Bibles and we're looking at Mark 12 at the beginning. Um, so again, the, the lens that I look and the way what I teach and then what I think my gift that I contribute to the body of Christ is really my uh, true 
how the monastic theology has shaped, has shaped me and my prayer life. So whenever I look at a, a text, a passage, I tend to initially put my uh, monastic uh, lens all, all the time. So on Mark 12, or verse 28, the life worth living for, and uh, so this is when one of the scribes came up, Mark 12, 28, and heard them disputing with one another and saying that he answered them well. Ask him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than this. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to them, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. <laughs> so when I look at this, and I said, the, the life worth living for, I think it was uh, attributed to Socrates when he said, the unexamined life is not worth living. The other day, Tamara, um, because we had a new baby, so we've been 24-7 in our duty. So she treated me and said, you can go and have a massage. You know, and, and I could not remember the last time someone really gave me a professional massage. That's how long it has been, you know. And, and so, so I went, and um, it, it was in the school of massage in Arcata. And it was really nice, you know. And uh, so when I got on the massage table, and when I walked into the room, there's a little table, you know, I put my cell phone and, no, just my key. And then I saw a statue of Buddha. And then... Uh, and I go, I almost asked my masseuse, like, if I would have known, I would have brought my cross with me, and then can I put the cross there next to me? <laughs> but then the more I think about it, and I go, you know, why are a lot of people here drawn to Buddhism? And um, the monastic theology is very old. It's Eastern. It's very ancient spirituality. So in a way, it's Eastern. And then when I think of the cross, you know, when, when you think of the cross, what kind, what does it steer in you? What's the, the, the symbolism of the cross for us? What does it symbolize for us, cross, the cross, as Christians? Suffering. Suffering, right? What, what else? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Love. Love, death. <laughs> you know, and... And in some of our, and back in, the, in L.A. during our evangelistic day, because Wyoming is very, you know, we take the streets, we, you know, we preach and we do one-on-one -on -one witnessing. And most of them, when they see the cross, it's like, I don't know, if I, if I want to live my life like what the cross symbolizes, I, I'm not sure if I want that. So I, I go, maybe that's why there's such an attraction to the symbolism of, of Buddhism, because of the bliss, right? 
the bliss, the nirvana, the enlightenment, the, you know, and, and I go, well, Christianity have that too, right? We have that, the, the abundant life, the peace, the joy. It's not just the cross. So, um, so I, I, I wonder why some of the, uh, the uh, people that I met are more or less my age, boomer generation. Uh, I met a lot of them that grew up with some Christian formation background. But when they hit midlife or late, you know, 20, 30s, they, they thought that Christianity is not relevant for them, but they continue to be seeker. And then so somehow um, they find the New Age Buddhism really very attractive. And, and I think maybe, maybe that's why. And I go, maybe they can only really discover the gift of the, uh, in the church that allows us to be like Zen-like too. <laughs> you know? Because a lot of the times in the church, the spirituality can be very violent, if you will. You know, it can be very aggressive. It can be very, you know, the metaphor that we have is war, warrior, right? The armor of God, right? You know, wage war and always, and even the... Uh, Male-dominated, you know what I mean? The crusades, the, the cross became the sword, it's even, you know? And so, but what about the other, you know, gift to us in, in terms of a spirituality that is really just intimacy and love, you know? And, um, and just, it, you know, it, it's in the Bible, right? The, it starts in the garden, we got kicked out, and then at the end, it's a wedding, right, in the city. And so, and so I, I think that's one thing that if we can um, offer that more and more, I think more, more of the older or younger ones would stay in the church and say, you know, I think it was uh, T.S. Eliot says, I, I, Christianity is great, but some people find it still wanting, and it's somehow not relevant to them. So, um, so with this commandment, it seems to me that the way of living today follows the philosophy of the art of living, you know, loving and living, and and they, they continue to seek the path, but seem to be to left Christian spirituality, like I, I mentioned earlier. And so, I, I, I wonder, loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your being, what does it take? What practices, what prayer practices do, do we need to cultivate? What spiritual discipline? And, and um, in our spirituality, we need to practice observances, you know, spiritual discipline. That's why Lent is, is, a, is a means of grace. It's a space for grace for us to, to really cultivate, to really practice, and to learn more about loving God with all of our heart and to loving our neighbors. So the Lent kind of encompasses, embodies that, you know, self-examination, loving God, but also 
Because Lent is sacrifice, fasting, and, and giving. <coughs> and that's why Jesus went, you know, of course the Shema Israel in the Old Testament doesn't include the loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Right? In, in Mark 28, uh, Mark 12, 28, he included love your neighbor as yourself too. So in, in a way, Lent is kind of like the part of that commandment to, to love yourself, you know, develop a practice, go, you know, there, we have Lent devotional that um, we put together that you can use to, to really cultivate that relationship with Jesus, examine your life, you know, the, um, the examining, like Jesus was, Lent is like the 40 days and 40 nights in the, in the, in the wilderness when he was tempted. But also, Lent is also from the time of the Last Supper all the way to Holy Thursday, before the night before he went to the cross. And so, the confusing and hard, challenging thing for us as we practice our Christianity and our, our spirituality is there's so many of them. So many, what, what do we... What do we use? What tools? What discipline? What prayer practices? It can be so confusing sometimes. And, and sometimes we just are not motivated to, to do anything at all. You know? And, and also especially if, um, if our busy life is so crazy and then we all don't even want to try it. And the next, uh, I have an image here that I wanted to show. Um, what is wrong with this picture here? There's no space. Imagine your life would be like that. Or it only takes one hit on the space bar after a word at least once to read a sentence in the natural way, right? It only takes one space bar and then there will be a space in the punctuation. It is, it is the same way in creating space, allowing our busy, fragmented, frenetic, nonstop life to be examined and allow our soul to listen to our call to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So when you look at this, is your life kind of like this? Is your life needing some space so you have some kind of like punctuation, some comma, and and, and the amazing thing with soul care and, the, and, the, uh, and cultivating that loving your God, it's not as hard, it's, all, it's as simple as like hitting that space bar. And so the Lenten, the Lent season is an opportunity for us to try that again. You know, and, and we have a guide that is simple, you know, um, every day we have a scripture that we will look at the life of Jesus, you know, the Passion Week. And, uh, and how we can experience the life of Jesus. Not just to contemplate what he's done, not just to, to study what happened during that time, but to to experience it, the suffering, and how it relates to your own suffering, you know, and how 
you are also hopeful in the Easter, you know, of your, you know, of your life or the hope that you have. And so, the text that I really like to, um, the next one please, Paul, is I, I look at Martha and Mary. When, when, you, uh, when you go back to the story of Martha and Mary in um, John 11 here. But look at it in uh, like an allegory of your prayer life. So let's, let's read it. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Who do you identify with more? Martha or Mary? Or who do you wish that you could be more? Anyone? Just kind of like? Martha? Mary. It, you saw you're more Mary and uh, and you need to be more Martha or you just like to be more Mary. want to be more Mary <laughs> yeah anybody else wanted to, to share I want to be more like Nazareth which is good too so that you can be resurrected <laughs> yeah I like I like how Mary I want to be more like Mary where she has like no abandonment just like no walls up, just another. Yeah. Nothing. Anybody else? Mary. Mary. Maybe isn't it both? Like, I wonder if there's something to do with both. Paul, can, would you mind moving to? Um, hey, Archie. Yes, please. Is the reason you have certain words highlighted? Because what I see is like Mary is working. She's just not serving. She's pouring. She's wiping. Hmm. That, that is part of, I think, what I wanted us to see. Hmm. Because we always associate Mary as just doing nothing, just being. The spirituality of being and doing. And we don't realize that being is also doing. Hmm. We, all, we have this notion that to be married means that you don't do anything. But the, the, even the, the practice of contemplation takes a lot of work, you know. And, and Martha here, if you really look at, there's three episodes in the Mary and Martha story. There's actually, Martha is also very contemplative and, and philosophical even in some of the questions that she had with Jesus about the resurrection and the life. You know, so Martha is not just, you know, um, a lady of the house, what's it mean? Martha meant, it means the lady of the house. She's the older sister. She's the responsible one. But she's also the one that, you know, that understands. She's, she knows how to be an ass and also a doer. That's why a prayer life has to be both Mary and Martha. It, would you want to, be a, uh, to, to have a Martha hand with a Mary heart? 
or a merry heart with a Martha hand. And, 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 it's, and our spiritual life is like that. The, the dynamic of being and doing Mary and Martha is happening all the time. There's a time that you just have to sit and listen. And there's a time that you have to do. They call this the contemplation and action. And you oscillate like a, like a double helix, you know, and there's a bond that, that is very active and dynamic. Being, doing, being open, receptive, and just resting. So it's not just one. And then the ascent to God, you know, is when we spend the time. So it's already in us to be like Martha, to be like Mary, the being and the doing, being open and being uh, restful. And then when, once we cultivate that, and then there's that dynamic like a double helix that's just spiraling up towards God, the ascent to God. And so, before I move on, I wanted to really just show some, some um, images of um, Martha and Mary, starting with slide seven, please, Paul. Four. Keep going. Eleven, sorry. We can see who's Martha there, right? that in that context if you were to look at your prayer life you know and, and this is the picture what would that be like for your prayer life you know if you were to have like a, a dialogue with yourself and, and, and you examine your prayer life and this is kind of like a picture what would that be like 
What, what are you telling yourself? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you should be more this way, you should be more that way. Uh-huh. Yeah. I should read the Bible more. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The next one, please. Now this one, what is in, in this one? It's more people, too. Yeah, there's people in the background. Yeah. So in, in this context, it, it could be in, in the context of, of us being with the church, with, mm. you know, with fellowship, with others, too. Next one, please. Here, there's a guy behind Martha there. It's not really in the Bible, but um, the artist is it's, um, suggesting something there. Yeah. Is that a self portrait of what that is? No, I don't think so. Yeah, but But this is Martha too, but there's like this, you know, uh, and the artist kind of like added that, but it's not really in the Bible, but like you said, it's kind of like that voice, you know. And then the last, and that's when Lazarus was, came back to life. So just take a moment just to um, house your prayer life. And as we have the Lent season, what will be your, um, the grace that you would seek? What is it that you want to uh, cultivate more in your prayer life? I have a few more slides I want to show and then we're going to do, I'm actually going to guide us into some lecture divina, some prayer practice that you can actually use for this week that we can try. Before I do that, I just wanted to really um, help us really um, motivate us to, to really look deeper in, in, into, in our interior life, in our prayer life. I'd like to quote from one of my favorite sisters that wrote this book, The Song of the Seed. She said, Sometimes all that we yearn for, beauty, courage, love, hope, faith, lies hidden. 
God seems to be absent from our lives. We are unable to truly see the people with whom we live. The goodness and worth of our own lives elude us. At times like this, we might feel called to take a step back and look at the mystery of life anew. That's the word retreat means, to go back. So one of our hope is that when we, this, this week, when you use the uh, simple Lenten, Lenten prayer guide, that you can step back, you know, and see what is hidden. What is it that God's voice is trying to tell you, but you just haven't had time. You're like that paragraph in no space. And then if you can just hit that space bar once and just sit down and just listen. Next slide, please. Here's a quote from uh, a Jewish mystic. He who has realized that sun and stars and souls do not ramble in a vacuum will keep his heart in readiness for the hour when the world is in trance. For things are not mute. The stillness is full of demands. The Mary and the Martha, right? The, Mar the Mary, but it's full of demands. It is a lot of work even though you're a Mary. Full of demands. Awaiting a soul to breathe in the mystery that all things exhale in their craving for communion. Out of the world comes the behest to instill into the air a rapturous song for God. I underline the readiness for the hour here. <coughs> God is, the indwelling Christ is already in us, right? God had already initiated the love to us. But it's us who just have to consent to that love. And has to open our hearts to that love. Has to be ready for that. So how do we, how do we open? How do we, are we aware? How do we consent to that? Prayer practice, the contemplation, taking time. That those are the means of grace that you open your heart to God. So what practices do you need to be in readiness, rhythm? Next one, please, Paul. And I like this little poem from T.S. Eliot. Oh, world of spring and autumn, birth and dying, the endless cycle of idea and action, endless invention, endless experiment, brings knowledge of motion, but not stillness, knowledge of speech, but not of silence. Knowledge of words and ignorance of the word. All our knowledge bring us nearer to death, but nearness to death, no nearer to God. Where is the life we have lost in living? Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Simple prayer practices, regular really is opening and consenting to the wooing of God so that we can be the beloved that we are. So that 
we could hear the voice of Jesus saying, you're not just my servant, you're my friend. In the next slides, again, Lent is the time of repentance, fasting, and preparation for the coming of Easter. It's a time of self-examination and reflection. In the early church, Lent was a time to prepare new converts for baptism. Today, Christians focus on their relationship with God, often choosing to give up something or to volunteer and give up themselves to others. It's a quote from a friend of mine that discipled me and, and I'm training to be a spiritual director, Larry Warner. He said, Lent is a time to walk with Jesus to the cross, being with Jesus at the cross, or even on the cross. So, the, the prayer guide that we have, we have scriptures, and then you can, the prayer practice that you can use, it's either Centering Prayer or Lecture Divina. And um, we will finish our time by uh, giving us, I'll guide you with some Centering Prayer time. So, imagine we are on a retreat up in a, uh, a monastery. <laughs> and uh, so we're going to do Centering Prayer and Lecture Divina. And um, the Centering Prayer. We're going to do Centering Prayer. Paul, would, um, would you mind doing the next? There you go. Centering Prayer. So we're going to practice this. Usually, Centering prayer, you do it for 20 minutes. Uh, Ian and, and I, we, we do Centering prayer at the Community Yoga uh, Center at the Plaza. Um, and initially, we said that there would be a fee, but Ian and I decided we're going to just have it on donation basis to, to motivate people to come to, to try it. But Centering prayer, so Ian and I will just, you know, we'll, the last three weeks, just the two of us, and you know, we have the whole studio to ourselves, very nice and quiet, you know, and uh, centering prayer in the monastic theology is like the prayer of being. There are different kinds of prayers. We have the prayers that's more doing, you know, the thanksgiving, the intercession, praying for healing, praying for our leaders, praying for provision, you know, those are doing prayers. And a lot of us are very proficient on that, right? We're good at those, doing prayers. But a lot of us can really learn, practice more the being prayers. And centering prayer is the prayer of the heart. It's an ancient, ancient form of, of Christian prayer. So it's not new. It's just in, in modern. They, when they first learned it, it was called the prayer of the heart. And... Um, in the Vatican II, when Pope Paul VI was uh, convened, all the, uh, the monks and, uh, and the priests, they said, we need to have renewal in, in the way of teaching the contemplation and prayer practices. And that's when they discovered this centering prayer. And, and, and it broke the whole Catholic uh, compines and, and the Protestants discovered it. Because it's a gift to the church. It's not just for the Catholics. Because this is the prayer that is just to be. You know, 
beyond words, beyond images, beyond feelings, beyond senses. It's just to be. It's to be with Jesus. You know? And so, we will try for five minutes and just choose one sacred or holy word, whether it's Jesus or, or God the Father, you know, or, you know, the Trinity. And, um, and the process of five minutes that we're going to be doing it, stay with that one word the whole time. And there will be thoughts that will come to you, but what you do is slowly go back to that word. Because all you want to do is just the embrace, the consent to God's love. Centering prayer is letting God love you. That is all. Just being still and know that, I, that, that He is God. So it's not a time to ask God to do something, to ask God for healing, to ask God for provision. Those are a different type of prayer time. But this is just to be. So we're going to try it. So, again, choose a sacred word as the symbol of your intention to consent to God's presence and action within. So, God's action within is perhaps just to wanting to love you and hug you and just, you know, talk to you and say, I just love you. That is all. And then, once you choose a word, settle into it and just repeat it over and over. Slowly. And then, um, when engaged with your thoughts, return ever so gently to the sacred world. Okay? You ready? I'm going to have a timer. So, be comfortable. And Lord, just lead us in this time. We just want to be with you. That is all. I will just say a prayer, and then you will, hear, and then you will hear um, some kind of like gong sound, and then uh, when our five minutes is up, you, you'll hear it again. In centering prayer, we go beyond thought and image, beyond the senses and the rational mind, to that center of our being where God is working a wonderful work. Be silent. Be still. Alone. Empty before your God. Say nothing. Ask nothing. Be silent. Be still. Let your God look upon you. That is all. God knows. God understands. God loves you with an enormous love and only wants to look upon you with that love. Quiet, still, be. Let your God love you.
we can close our centering prayer with the Lord's Prayer. We pray it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. How was that for you? I found I kept having to say the word over and over and over again to stay focused. Yeah. Yeah. So we have handouts we're going to give later. So during the, in the morning, you could do the centering prayer, just like what we did. Um, start with five minutes, you know, and if you want to keep it longer, and do 10, and then, you know, 15, and then, and then 20. If you can join us on Thursday night, it's, when we do it, it will be about 20 minutes up in the, uh, the plaza. And um, the century prayer um, is, is really a good way to really enter in and allowing our, our whole being to be ready just to be with Jesus. And then after the century prayer, we do the lecture divina. And uh, we're going uh, to finish our time with the lecture divina. And Paul, if we can just, uh, we're going to use lecture divina, just, it's a Latin word meaning sacred or divine reading. It is also a very ancient Christian practice um, by um, the, the church. One of the first early churches practiced this and, uh, and, and um, the, the monks have, have practiced this. And it is the order of the Benedictine monks that has been around for 1500 years. They're one of the oldest uh, monastic order that has been around consistently has been through a lot, all kinds of things that happened those 1,500 years, and they're, they're being around. And they have, they have a uh, presence here in, in California. Um, and so this Lecture Divina, when you, whenever you hear Lecture Divina, it was the Benedictine who really kind of like the guardian and who kept it alive all these all this centuries. And, and it's more of an art than, than um, a real studying, you know, of inductive Bible study or Bible study. Because in Lecture Divina, you want to listen with the ear of your heart. You want God speaking to you like uh, when God spoke to Elijah in that still, small voice, just to be still. So in, in Lecture Divina, the, uh, you, we read it very slowly, reverentially. And the goal is not to, uh, to finish the... Um, the reading, the passage, or the chapter. The goal is to listen. So we're going to read it three times. And once we, we read it once, just listen. If there's any one word or sentence that is um, that's having more meaning to you, that is being highlighted to you, that you're being drawn to, that's coming alive to you, 
So we're going to read it three times. And the, the reading will be on uh, slide number four, please. On the Mary and Martha. So the, the process one, we're going to read it first, slowly. And then at the end of the reading, we're going to have like a little time of silence. So we'll listen and see what word or phrase that, that we're being drawn to. You know, and, and ignore the highlighted area there. Um, then after reading the second time, like what Bethany used to do with us in our lecture, Divina, it's, it's basically the same. But after reading it once, we listen. And then the second time, we listen again. If it is the same word, and then we meditate on it. So reading is listening. Meditating is chewing on it, ruminating on it. What does it mean? Why are you being drawn to it? What does it mean to you now in your life? And then after meditating on it, the next process is Orashio, or the prayer. You respond to what God's spoken to you. So if the Lord spoke to you about a word, and then you meditated on it, the next process is to pray and, and respond. You say, God, I heard this. I see this in my life, and, and I thank you. And then the last process is just to rest in the Lord. So we're going to read it um, once, and then we have some silence. And then see what word you're, you're being drawn to, and then read it again. And if it's the same word, meditate on it. And then the third time, um, meditate on it, and then respond to the Lord. And, and the kids can also listen to this reading too. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Take some time. What word or sentence are you being drawn to? What is the one that is coming alive to you from this passage? And then once you identify that word, just meditate on it. Why were you being drawn to it? What does it mean to you now? Not necessarily what the word means, but what does it mean to you?
Then after you meditated on it, you just respond to God and just say, God, I am drawn to this because this is where I'm at now. And this is what I need. And this is what I ask of you, Lord. And this is what I need to do. Help me, Lord, with your grace. And then after you respond to God, all you can do is just to rest. Just leave it all to the Lord. And He'll take care of the rest. But Lord Jesus, I just pray, as we try to observe the Lent season, may it be a time of repentance, time of sacrifice, fasting. Would you speak to us what we would fast on? So that we can experience you more, so that we can go to the cross with you and be with you or even on the cross ourselves. Show us, Lord. Show us what in our life that we need to repent, what in our life that you want to, 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 uh, to purify our hearts from. Show us, too, how we can give more. Lord, I pray, Lord, as we will try to use the, um, the guide that we have that you would really help us as we really try to cultivate and want to know you more and to serve you more, to love you with all of our heart, all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and that we would also love our neighbor the same. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about ways that you can be involved with Catalyst, please visit our website at provokechange.org. Until next time, journey together, live different, and provoke change.